0: or our Bibles now, actually we're turning to the hymnal of the Bible and that's the book of Psalms and Psalm 100. Probably Psalm 100 and Psalm 23 are the most popular of the Psalms, all the 150 Psalms. Psalm 100. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Now we're reading from the New King James so some of the words are a little different but uh, make a joyful noise Uh, is more expressive and make a joyful shout. Christians should be energetic about praising the Lord. Amen. And so we see that he says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Now, Father, may we come to you today thanking you for who you are. And Lord, that we would see you in your glory, that you would visit with us this morning, that we would sense your presence that we would aspire to walk with you and talk with you and that sin would become repugnant in our lives. And Lord, that we just have an appetite for the things of God and then an appetite, Lord, and a longing that others would have what we have, that all the the lands, all the people of the world, and especially our neighbors, our friends, and our family that we're going to be meeting this week will have what we have and that is the joy and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ living within our hearts. Where we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we know that the Old Testament, to, to these psalms were written, many of them, around the festivals. And uh, we've been going through the psalms um, in, uh, on our Wednesday night services. And we noticed several months ago, or several weeks ago, I guess, but uh, from about Psalm 93 through Psalm 100 is a lot of psalms that are written as they would approach the temple. Now, Psalm 113 through 118 uh, is are psalms that probably the Lord prayed during the uh, Passover, the night before, or that they sang. Remember, they sang songs. And so... Some of the songs that they would have sung because they still sing them at Passover season today uh, during that time. So those Psalms are very personal. And just uh, I love to tell people when you go to Psalm 113 to 118, just think about the Lord singing those songs, knowing that He was going to His death. And a lot of those had had, that were prophesying His death. And so it's so, so, so interesting. And so we know the Lord quoted the Psalms more than any other book. And even on the cross, He quoted Psalm 22. And so all of these that, uh, that we see then that uh, as we come to the Lord this is Psalm 100 is as they're approaching the temple as the people are c- coming from all over the world and they're approaching the temple we see make a joyful shout so these people were coming together to worship the Lord and the the uh the temp- the festivals and the even the sacrifices were to be a time of yes solemnity because there was a lot of bloodshed and some of that was very messy. If you read through it, when you got thousands of sheep, uh, just oh boy, I mean, it took a lot of organization and a lot of hand washing. Those lavers had to be replenished a lot of times with water just to for the thousands of sheep to come through. And yet, it was a time of blessing. And even today, with the Passover, they uh, made it. They made it a made it a. Uh, a a game for the children. Remember the unleavened bread they're supposed to have? And we had a, uh, a a Jewish man with us or a Jew with us back a few weeks ago, and he talked about the Passover and how that the uh, Jewish mothers or parents would hide uh, little pieces of leaven around the house and for the kids to pick up and you know, get, win the prize. I guess that's where our Easter egg uh, comes. Uh, Came from or whatever, but it was the idea of this was to be a family gathering. It was to be a family get together. It was to be a a yes, a time of realizing what Jesus did or what God did as pulling us out of the slavery of Egypt and delivering us and setting us free. But yet, and of course, that's why we look back on what the Lord took us from the slavery of sin and miraculously saved us and now set us on the path to the promised land. And so we see that God is working in our lives. And so. This is, was a time of joy. And folks, that's why we sing in the morning. Uh, come into his presence with singing, into his courts with praise. Christians should be known for their singing. And it's interesting, all through church history, we have seen that uh, music has been one of the great purvey- uh, conveyors of the faith. And even today, of course, uh, how sad it is. We're having a lot of Pied Pipers out there. Music is very powerful, and we sing it. And that's the reason I want our people to have a song in their heart because Spirit-filled Christians are singing Christians, aren't they? Be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. How? Singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we've got the Word of God flowing in our hearts. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly uh, in all wisdom. Um, singing to yourselves in Psalms and if So we, in two different times. Paul tells us to be singing and being filled with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we don't come to church just to sit around and say, oh boy, I wonder if my turkey's uh, baking in the oven or whatever else. But it's a time of, hey, this is where we're going to meet the Lord. This is where my people are. You can imagine the culture of coming and, hey, my friends are going to be there. My great aunt a Bessie, or she's going to be there. And all these people I haven't seen for years. And of course, there, won't, there will be people that won't be there because they're in heaven today. But that's the assurance that they had. And so this was a time of great joy. And even the day of atonement, Remember, the Day of Atonement was that one day when they would come and place their hands on the sheep and they would be slain again. Uh, the whole idea of transferring of, the, of our sin to the Lamb of God. And that's why our Lamb of God has taken our sins. It was all pointing to the Messiah coming. Uh, and yet it was a time of festivals. It was a feast of booths and all these things where they remembered what God did. And it was a great time. And the Lord Jesus went to these festivals over and over again. And so uh, we see that uh, this was a time where the people were to come together and to joyfully praise God for who he is and what he's done in our lives. And so we see that Christians, whether Old Testament or New Testament, godly people, should be thankful. They should. We have someone to look for. I know my Redeemer lives, Job tells us. And as a result, I have hope. I have the hope that's within me that the Lord Jesus one day, this old world um, that one of this one day things are going to get better. Now in saying that, that's a contrast to what the world is like because Romans chapter one, uh, we see that Paul says for since the creation. And by the way, folks, we are all created. It doesn't matter what the scientists say. And one reason we're having all the problems with this transgender stuff today is because if, uh, uh, it's defying creation. It's defying reality. It's defying how that God's made us. You know, after all, we, God made us. It is He that has made us. Uh, you didn't have a choice whether you were male or female. That was a, You didn't have a choice of when you were born, where you were born, to the parents you were born, uh, the gender in which you were born. Uh, you, none of that. Uh, you didn't have a choice in that. God did it all. He created. And now... God can make you what he wants you to be, and he promises you uh, that uh, no good thing that he will withhold from them who walk uprightly. And so we see that he says, but unfortunately the world has rejected him, and notice how the progression in Romans chapter 1 is very famous about that, Uh, how that before the creation of the world, um, his attributes were clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made, how do we understand God? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So uh, you know, uh, I've said several times and I don't know if i said it on Sunday morning message, but one of the things I just haven't forgotten was back about a, six weeks ago, I was uh, at the ophthalmologist and there was a, uh, I don't know all the, the levels of ophthalmology. Anyway, this, this young lady was about to get her full-fledged licensed. I don't know whether that's resident or whatever, all that. But anyway, she was about ready to graduate and be out on her own. But she still had to have the regular ophthalmologist with her her whenever she did things. And so uh, I was saying, I was just talking with her and she started mentioning what she was specializing in. I said, I thought you were already specializing. I thought you were an ophthalmologist. But she said, no, there's six different areas of ophthalmology that I can specialize in. Wait a minute. I mean, I'm so intricately made that my eye has six different specialists that can, you know, tell me whether it's the iris or the nerve or the all the glaucoma, all these different things. Eyeball, all these different things that I even folks, I would have a hard time being an atheist, believing there was evolution, if I was if I, was, if I was an ophthalmologist, loloma, <coughs> any other kind of doctor, internist, what do you name it, I would have a hard time being a doctor of any kind and believing in evolution. Because, folks, it's obvious that it was designed. And only a fool would try to deny it. And unfortunately, that's what we see that Paul tells us here. He says, being understood by the things that are made, uh, 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 even the eternal power of the Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, uh, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful. Thankful. One of, the re, one of the great uh, um, evidences of people who don't know God and people who reject God and, and backslidden Christians is when we quit being thankful. Realizing there's somebody bigger than us and it's only by his mercy we we're here in the first place. But here, neither were they thankful. What did they do? They became bitter and rebellious. And even though they were going after their own flesh, their flesh couldn't satisfy, especially when their flesh uh, uh, came in contact with others. And so we see that uh, now neither were they thankful, but they became futile or vain in their thoughts or vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Boy, are we not living in a nation of fools today? Uh, university professors, or doesn't matter who it is, it could be the man on the street, but people that don't believe there's a God and how that they mock those who do. Uh, how sad it is. To, we got a a legislator up in Washington today. I mean, I found out he's a Baptist of all things. Uh, and uh, he is, a, he is a, now... One of the leaders in Washington, and I was saying, okay, now he's made a uh, a very public statement about his faith. Let's see who attacks him, and let's see who doesn't defend him. Who call themselves Christians, and who won't join on his side? And it's amazing. All of a sudden, you just start this guy is going to take us back into a theocracy where uh, you know you're going to have the high priest, like the ayatollah, is going to control. He's going to be an ayatollah, you know, or whatever, controlling us. And folks, all he's doing is saying, hey, I believe what the Pilgrims believe. I just believe, you know, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And yet we are so far away from that today, that the average person on the street thinks that a Christian is someone trying to take their white rights away. Isn't that sad? In fact, we want to give them freedom. And true freedom comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through the government. Isn't it interesting, the more that we lose our self-control and our God-given convictions that uh, God can control, uh, give us the convictions to live um, in peace and harmony, the more that we depend on the government to help us to live in peace and harmony. Has the government been very good at it, folks, lately? Not at all. We see that the more that we turn away from God, the more violent, the more hatred we have. The more families are falling apart. How that uh, now they are glorifying uh, folks. I, I I don't want to get off on all the perversions, it's just the adulteries. I mean, folks are living like a dog kennel today. Universities are dorms are turning into dog kennels, and not only them, but uh, just the average street. I I <laughs> I when I get with the average people today, I don't ask, oh, is this your wife? I don't say that anymore. Or is this your husband? Because, you, no, this is my boyfriend. But we got three kids at home and we got to get, oh, oh, okay. so you stick your foot in your mouth over and over again because of just the lack of, you know, we're, we're a nation of adulterers. And when I say that, how many times do we as, um, as Christians, we accept it? And of course, we watch the movies and we, you know, all these different things. We've sing their songs and all the rest, and so we're people of unclean lips, and we live among a nation of unclean lips. And so here again, we see that uh, that as a nation, that is not there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And so the reason they cry peace, peace, but there is no peace, is because people have turned away from God, and this is exactly. The road, not only adultery and so forth, but it just goes right on down in all the perversions and murders and all that as you go through and see the depravity of man in Romans chapter one. So what a difference. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. And yet we see the very worship of God involves thanks. It involves an acknowledge that it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. And we are at his mercies and his mercies are very tender. For those who will love him. And so as we look at this, we, look, we see, first of all, that we are to be thankful. He says, uh, uh, our, why should we be thankful? Why should yo you know, God hasn't done anything for me. But the whole idea of coming together for these festivals was, of course, for the forgiveness of sins. As they would come and worship the Lord and they would lay their hands upon that Animal and that animal would be slain. They understood that this was a picture of what the Messiah was going to do for them. As they transferred their sins to that lamb, and they knew as and the, as we saw that John the Baptist said, "What there, behold the Lamb of God, which what taketh away the sins of the world." So they were looking forward to that Redeemer. Job is probably the first book of the Bible written. Says, "I know my Redeemer lives. He's out there somewhere, and I know he's going to forgive me one day." And then he's going to wash away my sins, but I don't know. So we know more about salvation than Job did. And even the people that came to the temple. So first of all, we see that they came and they praised the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. That word, big word, propitiation. We'll see that in 1 John chapter 2. That's a word which means it satisfies. It means that God saw the blood. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you your sins and the debt of your sins have been paid for the the, the bill has been paid in full you have been th- your your account has been satisfied propitiated by the blood of Jesus Christ what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus and this was folks isn't that something to to praise the lord for my sins are blotted out this i know Jesus loves me, this I know. All these songs that we sing are because God has forgiven us of our sins, is it not? Oh, folks, I've yeah, I was, I was, uh, um, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the Master of the Sea came and heard my cry. <laughs> And from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Boy, don't we love singing songs like that? Because our sins have been propitiated. We have been washed free. And as a result, folks, should we not come and praise God for our sins being forgiven? Not only that, but uh, another reason that they would offer these sacrifices was because of celebration. They would come and they would bring a thank offering to the Lord. And they would offer it and say, thank you, Lord, for the good crop or thank you for delivering me from this distress or whatever. And that would be an w- act of worship of saying, thank you, Lord. Folks, when we come before the Lord, we're to come before him thanking him for what he's done for us. That's the reason tonight. I want us to get together and not, oh, the Lord forgave me and he forgave me of my sins 10 years ago or whatever, but the Lord did something this past year in my life that I want to remember and thank him for it. So this is a a time of celebration, but then also it's a time of dedication. We sing all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. That's all part of worship, isn't it? We thank God for what he's done. We thank God for for saving us. We thank God for forgiving us. We thank God for what he's doing in our lives. And we dedicate our lives to serve him. That's all part of what these festivals pointed to that we do today. We look back on the reason they were looking for the reason they were doing it. And so come before him and let's shout because God has promised us he's going to forgive us of our sins. And we can look back and say, we can thank God because he forgave us of our sins. And so, folks, are we not to shout? Isn't it interesting that in spite of all the harrowing things that went on, uh, the one thing that the pilgrims are known for is their thankfulness. I mean, they lost half their group. In fact, uh, it's been said that uh, there were only four adult women left after that first winter. Boy, that was a lot of cooking for all those Indians and everything else, wasn't it, for all those? But there were some teenagers, some of the younger kids were still around that had to help with the, but uh, they were thankful. And so we see that, uh, and that's the only reason we even remember them was because they were thankful. And our nation was built on Thanksgiving. And so we see that uh, the whole idea then of of coming and Christians are to be known for their praise and worship of the Lord. So we shout either by action or by word. And so we see that he says, worship the Lord with gladness or the word there is uh, serve the Lord with gladness. And that word can be translated either serve or worship. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter uh, 12 verse 1 we've quoted it many times i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice no longer lambs and so but we we give ourselves to god which is our reasonable service and that word can be translated uh um uh, worship and so, actually, when we call it a worship service, we're saying our worship, worship. <laughs> you know, so, actually, you know, it's a, we call it a service, but it is a worship. We come together in service to the Lord. In other words, we come to worship the Lord. And so he says, that which is our reason. Hey, folks, God wants it all. Uh, Pastor, how much should I give to the Lord? He wants everything. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. If he has that, he'll have your money. And he'll tell you where to spend it. And he'll tell you where not to spend it, (laughs) all all these things. And so, you know, and they'll take care of the offerings. You know, that's the reason I, you know, I I don't even like talking about offerings that much because I feel like God's people, when they're right with God, God meets the needs because he promised he would. Now, of course, every once in a while you have to present the needs to your church family, but I'm not going to go out into into Belvedere and say, hey, this church had a bad offering this past week. Can you help us? No, because we've got a God in heaven that can meet all of our needs. Amen? And he can meet my needs just like he can meet yours. And so we come before him, and he just wants everything. And if he has everything, then I can trust him for everything. And so we see that he says that, um, and notice he says also, the breadth of it, all ye lands. So we're telling people, come and worship with us. We want everybody to see what we have. And so this is the one time, this is a, called a, Uh, Psalm, where we see that they're saying to the world, "Come and see what we do, and worship our God with us." And isn't that what we want? Anybody's welcome to come to our service. Is anybody's welcome to be with us? Y'all come. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." We want to be. And as I mentioned in Sunday school, uh, people decide whether they're going to want to come back to your church within the first five, ten minutes they're there. Why? Not because they met the preacher, but because they met the people. And they want to see people that believe what is preached. And so again, we see that, hey, folks, we want people. I want people... I think of some of you, and I'll hear somebody. Oh, and they'll talk about you and how how nice you are, and all that. Of course, I'm their pastor, or your pastor, so of course they're going to say things nice about you. But uh, there again, I know some of you are rascals, but uh, but they don't know it possibly. But uh, you know, there again is uh, is isn't, uh, isn't it good that uh, that's the way that's our. But we should be known as singing people. We should be known as joyful people, because we have our sins forgiven. And we have the blessings of God upon our lives. I hath not seen nor ear heard what God is for those who love him. And so we make this joyful shout. You notice when we sing, we, it, we, it expresses the subject of our love. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Isn't that a good subject? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the, isn't that a great songs to sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Isn't that great stuff? The subject of God's grace and his love and his person and what a, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Good stuff. And so we see that the, that's the subject. When we sing, we tell people by what we sing. And that's one reason the Pied Piper of... Uh, contemporary music today is so deceptive because you don't know what they're singing about whether it's their boyfriend or some lover that they had or are they singing about Jesus oh it doesn't matter just whatever you want to apply to your life no either less identify it as Jesus or less don't sing it especially in a church service there was a so he uh, it's a song that I love the, the chorus to it, but once I found out the words to it and how it's being applied today, I don't want people... I mean, I love the... It's one of the most beautiful sounds of uh, orchestra music I've ever heard. Uh, okay, dear, what's the name of it? <laughs> but, uh, um, you Lift Me Up. It's a beautiful song. I mean, I, I heard it on Andre Reunion. at thought, or- oh, just beautiful. But then I noticed the words that uh, and it's song, well, among... Uh, and you don't know whether they're singing to the Lord Jesus or to the girlfriend or boyfriend that lifts them up. Well, folks, let's name him. He, The Lord Jesus is the one that lifts me up. But unfortunately, we use that type of music, and all of a sudden it brings in the emotion without the person. Folks, let's identify the person. And if you don't know what... Uh, uh, you light up my life. Again, that was back... And just, boy, that dates me. But... Uh, you know, back in the 70s, uh, whatever. Well, who lights up your life? Is it your boyfriend? Your girlfriend? Or is it the Lord? Tell me! Let's make a shout to the Lord! Don't, you know, all this stuff that we're hearing today is the devil, uh, is uh, Pied Piper leading us right into perdition because those very people that are doing that now are promoting the very perversions that are coming into the churches. And so, folks, uh, when we sing about Jesus, let's sing about Jesus. When we sing about the Lord, let's sing about the Lord. Amen? Does that make sense? So we see that he says, uh, we sing, it expresses who we love, uh, the subject of our love. And when we sing, it represents the passion of our love. Well, how do you sing it? Jesus loves me, this I think, you know. No, uh, boy, we should be happy, should we not? And then all of a sudden, he says, "And the way that we sing expresses the joy of our love. And just, uh, "Hey, listen, I'm proud of love this person. Isn't that, isn't that the way it should be as a Christian? And so they identify, you know, make a shout to the Lord. Let's make sure that we identify who He is. We're not worshiping Baal or Asheroth or Diana, or whatever. we're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in him alone. And so we see that. He said, let's make that shout. Let's make it heard loud and clear who we're worshiping. And this, does anybody have any doubt the God that the pilgrims were worshiping? It's the same God you and I were worshiping. Although today, now then, let's just be thankful to be thankful. Because we're taking God out of... How can you be thankful until you're thanking somebody? Well, let's thank the government. Well no. <laughs> let's thank God. And so we see that uh, to make a joyful shout, Christians are to praise God and name him. But it's also, knows to whom uh, are we thankful? Notice, for he is our God. He is God. Notice he's the creator. And this is where we go. When you get off, when you get off the, the basics of creation, then you get into all kinds of confusion. Let me ask you, how did you... I talked about that eyeball uh, can you tell me any steps of how pers- how that sight even came into being? What's, what is sight? How was an eyeball? Was it the eyeball was made first or was sight made first? And how did it connect with one another? Tell me. They talk about how that the animal became, you know, how that the amoeba became the frog and the frog became the the rat and the rat becomes the ape and the ape becomes the college professor, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, They could tell you all those steps, but tell me, they can't tell you, how can you even think? How did thinking come into being? How did it evolve? What mechanism, what spark, what explosion out there caused you to have a soul, have a mind in an IQ? Tell me how that happened. Well, back there, three trillion years, no. Tell me. God says, he made me. And he breathed into me a living soul. And folks, your soul is going to live forever. Somewhere. Just depends on where you want it to be. But we see that uh, he's our creator. And boy, I'd love to get into that. But to, all the way through, we saw in Romans chapter 1, he says, since the creation of the world, you can't get away from the creation, folks. It is he that has made us and we are not by ourselves. You look in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter five, the first, for is by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death came upon all men for all have sinned. Romans five twelve. Okay, if evolution came along, who was the first Adam? Was he a Neanderthal? Was he half ape? Was he Lucy? Whatever it is that's out there today. Or was, you got to identify when the first Adam came, if he evolved. Or did God create him by the word of his mouth? It's very easy, folks. He created him by the words of his mouth. You're going to mess up salvation and everything else if you get off into creation and to progress, well, the, what they call it uh, the, what, the long day theory where, you know, those six days were uh, paleolithic and all that kind of stuff. You're trying to compromise. Either God did it or he didn't. And if you mess up Genesis chapter one, you mess up Romans chapter five. So we go all the way through the Bible. And you mess up chapter, uh, chapter one, two of Romans, and you know it's since the creation. And here you mess up Romans chapter, uh, 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 Psalm one, it is, or Psalm 100. It either he created us or he didn't. Did he create us? And not we ourselves. So therefore folks, if he created us, it's kind of like the 6,000 pound gorilla in the room. What do you say to him? Sir, well, there's somebody bigger than we are out there, right? What do you say to him, sir, (laughs) or Lord, amen? Either he is or he isn't. If he's God, then we better bow down to him because he's bigger than we are. And so we see that it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. There's something bigger to live for, someone bigger to live for than ourselves, folks. There's something bigger out there than we are. And once we realize that, and all you to, got to do is look up in the, into the uh, stars and the eternity of space and you realize, hey, there's something we don't understand except a God who made it. And so we see that. The, but then again, the one thing that I can rejoice over, even though I don't totally understand him and he's too big for my imagination, and yet I am his person. We are his people, are we not? We are the sheep of his pasture. That goes back to Roman, to Psalm 123. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he's the same God in, Je- in John chapter 10, where he says, my sheep hear my voice. I am the, what? Good shepherd. And he will lead me in the paths of righteousness. He will restore my soul. He will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, and he will always be with me. Will he not? Because he's my Lord and his mercies endure forever. And so I'm his person. You are too, if you know him, if you have bowed to him and accepted him as your savior. But then also, how are we thankful? Well, first of all, we sing. You know, 27 times in the New Testament, Paul tells us to be thankful or to rejoice or different terms like that. And that's just Paul. 27 different times. He commands us to be thankful. And so, folks, whenever I can thank God, not for all things, but in all things give thanks, then I can say, Lord, I might not understand it, but I'm going to thank you in the midst of this trial. Because even though you might be leading me through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me because you promised. So I can thank you for that. I'm not thanking you for the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not thanking you for the death of a loved one or that, but I'm thanking you that you promised me you'd be with me. Can we not? I can hang on for dear life and say, Lord, I don't understand it. I'm hanging on by my fingernails, but I know that you won't let go. And I'm going to shout... Now, of course, I have to be careful with that because certain times you don't shout. There's a time for everything. You don't shout around and say, praise the Lord, my mother died. No, I didn't do that at the funeral of my mother. But I had the most comfort and peace in my life I think I've ever had. I don't want to ever go through it again. But I know that's where God spoke to me and really changed my life even through the death of my mother when I was 20 years old. And so, and guess what, folks, we're going to look at this in a moment. I'm going to see her again one day. But uh, notice he says, um, he tells us uh, that that we're, how do we come? We're we're to sing into, hey folks, that's the reason we sing before the service. Why do we do the things we do? That's our philosophy. We come into his presence with singing, into his courts with praise. And folks, we get our hearts all tuned up to sing his grace so that we can hear his grace in the word of God to reinforce what he's doing in our lives. So we sing before we preach. And we sing before we wash the dishes. We sing before we eat. And we're always singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And that should be the characteristic of our lives. And I like that old King James word, if you can't sing, make a noise. You know, whatever it is. If you can't sing on tune, sing. But uh, we see that he says, uh, let's come boldly before the throne of grace. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, what is he? There he's a, folks, is Jesus Christ right here today? Is he not with us today? That's why I'm praying, Lord, when people walk into this building, and he's teaching me more, I don't want to, don't want to get into mysticism of, you know, there's an angel sitting on every pew and all that. Uh, let's not worry about the angels. God says he'll take care of those. It's just like uh, the president came to town this past week. Did everybody uh, uh, come? Uh, they were all lining up the streets and all that stuff and the streets were blocked off. Did everybody come to see all those cars pass by? And all the people are in them. Or why did they come? Because one man showed up. Right? And so the Bible tells me there's all kinds of angels around us today. God's got angels watching what Calvary Baptist Church is doing today. And we'll see in a moment. Innumerable angels. We're worshiping with them today. But are we to concentrate on the angels? No, let's concentrate on the God who made them. And he'll take care of the angels. He'll give his angels charge over us. So, Lord, you just take care of it. Uh, I can't command them. I'm not going to pray to them. I'm going to go to you. And so he says, uh, uh, we're two or three gathered together. We don't come to worship angels. We come to worship the Lord and uh, he'll take care of the rest. And we honor his name. And that name that you will see throughout scripture, when we talk about bless his name, that incorporates everything he is. Whenever I say Lashley, then uh, many of you, you already decide whether you like me, hate me, whether, you, whether I'm a good guy, bad guy, whether I'm too tall, too short, whatever. Uh, everything that's incorporated, whether I'm smart, whether I'm dumb, whether I'm I, whatever, you know, all those things are wrapped up in what you just heard, right? So let's learn about Jesus because, boy, there's some good things about that guy, isn't there? And the more I know about him, the more I want to honor his name. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And it's just the same. And so we see that, uh, that it incorporates everything. So we, we honor his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so we want people to recognize that when we say Jesus, when we say God, that is something very important in our lives and we don't use his name in vain and we don't go around uh, using it superficially either because it's holy and high in our minds and so we acknowledge his good for he is good now when you see the word good it's one of those things where it's uh the call it the law of first mentioned whenever you see something in the Bible and it's identified uh, in the first time then it's usually without very, very few variations. That's what it means throughout scripture. And so when the Bible says that the Lord in Genesis one said that all that he made was good, what did it mean? That it was perfect, right? Everything he made was perfect until sin came along. And so that's why the Lord said to, and the, the, the Jewish mind understood that. That's why that rich long ruler that came, a lawyer, came to him and said, good master, And the Lord stopped him and said, "Why call you me good, seeing there's only one good in heaven. And in Mark chapter 10, that lawyer the next time didn't say good master. He said master, because he did not recognize Jesus as God. And he went away sorrowing. Remember, he rejected the goodness of God. Folks, God is good. That means he's perfect. And the only reason I could even have any semblance of good is because I serve a good God. I won't, be, I won't be perfectly good because I've fallen nature. But goodness should be my traits in yours too because he is good. And notice, as for God, his ways are perfect. He's good. He's a perfect God. Very quickly, the rest of this psalm, we see that uh, we remember not only that uh, he's good and we remember that, but uh, we remember his mercies, his loyal love. That word mercy is one of the key words in the Old Testament. And it, means, it means loving kindness. It means mercy. It means not only holding back the wrath, but lo- loving you in spite of wanting to kill you. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, everyone's like, my kids, are kids. Wait a minute, I still love them. Right? Sometimes they just want to pull your hair out. And that's one reason. No, I better not get into that. But to, to, uh, there again, but you love them in spite of some of the things that they do. And you, and that's why, you know, when you go to your, to you see Aunt Mabel, Aunt Mabel over there and she's one of the old crabbiest old women in the world, you love her in spite of who she is because you have mercy. Not because you don't want, you're not gonna her, but no, you just love her in spite of being crabby. That really, whenever, why can I do that? Because my God's merciful toward me. Why can't I be merciful and loyally love other people that I, that aren't too lovable in the first place? I wonder how much God's kind of had to look at me and grit his teeth. How about you? And so the whole idea of his mercy, His well, he loves me. And as a result of that, we see it to all generations. Folks, we hear about baby boomers and all that. No, uh, the same gospel that was preached by Paul is preached today to the grandchildren. Whether they're Gen Zers or Gen Xers or baby boomers or whatever else, the greatest generation know all those different terms. Know the same gospel applies to all. Whosoever will may come. And uh, so we see that we're to teach our children. But then also there's that future glory. And this is the one thing we look forward to because, you know, I've been, the more I look in this, and our study of angels on, um, in Sunday school over the past few weeks, uh, just really got me thinking about not mysticism. Uh, we, if you start studying angels and putting an angel in, uh, on every pew and all that, that's mysticism because those are things we can't see or even know about because God tells us very fleeting things about it. But he does tell us about the God who controls them. And if God tells me that he will put his angels charge over me to keep me in all my ways, I'm not going to concentrate on the angels. I'm going to concentrate on the, the commander. Because I don't know who's out there. Amen? And so don't get off into the mysticism and saying, oh, I wonder if there's angels with me. No, if Jesus is with me, he'll take care of the rest. Just like when the president came to town, he brought a whole nine yards with him, right? Well, when God comes, he does it good. And so we see that, uh, that's why in Hebrews chapter 12, and I really never saw that until we started studying angels. Therefore, we also, since we were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, who is he talking about? Romans chapter 12, what was before, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, what was before chapter 12? Chapter 11. And chapter 11 was what? The faith chapter, by faith. Abraham, by faith. Rahab, by faith. So are those people watching over us as witnesses today? And by extension, does that mean the saints have gone before us? Are up there seeing what we did? And right, when they, he's writing to the Hebrews, to the Jews here who understood Old Testament language. That's the reason all through the book of Hebrews, you have to understand the Old Testament to understand the book of Hebrews but he's talking to these people he's saying that this great cloud of witnesses, they're with us today. And let us lay aside every weight and let us, which so easily distracts us and uh, ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So folks, there's challenges out there, but we have a God and we got people up in heaven that are cheering us on. I don't totally understand it and I don't want to get off onto it, but God says, that we got some loved ones up there that might be watching us. Scary, isn't it? Mother, please don't beat me when I get up there. There's so many things. You know, whatever. I mean, there are certain things. that Mom, I can't please that's my kid if she's up there, you know, whatever. But uh, I'm hoping that maybe the, maybe the blood of Jesus Christ, which protects me from the, my father finding out and my sins are washed away. Maybe my mother can't see it either because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know. I sure hope so, because if not, she's going up there, you know, whatever. And so, uh, there again, but God says that they've gone before us. There's a witness up there. But then, of course, he says, the greatest witness is he says, there is, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, what? There ye may be also. John 14. But then back to... The thing that really is, as you read chapter 12 of Hebrews, it really started just coming home to me because he's talking to these people. And he's saying, hey, God's in your presence. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. Even back in chapter four, and he, he talks about, hey, you don't need the blood of bulls and goats. You got the personal savior, Jesus. He's your high priest. You can go to him. All these different things. He's your relationship to him. But then he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, toward the end of this chapter, he says, but you have, but we have come to Mount Zion. Now to the Jew, what is that? That's the temple. And of course, to us, we are the temple of God. But we've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels. Folks, we are worshiping with the angels today. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the altar, have we not? And as a result, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. The firstborn is a physician. In other words, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he's that spiritual head of all creation. And guess what, folks? I'm part of that firstborn generation. How about you? Uh, My Lord Jesus is in control of my spiritual welfare. That's what the firstborn position was all about. He was in charge of the family well, I'm part of the family of God and Jesus is in charge of me. He controls my inheritance. He controls everything about me. But not only that, but I'm worshiping with the innumerable company of angels. There again, let's not get mystical. But folks, heaven is watching what we're doing today. And let's just concentrate on Jesus Christ. He says to God, uh, he says, a reg- the, the, no, so the firstborn who are registered in heaven what does that mean do you have your name written down somewhere on a registry there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine oh yes it's mine and the white robed angels tell the story a sinner has come home oh boy is this something to shout about because my name is written down in heaven. And yours is too, if you know him as your personal Savior. But he says, to judge to God judge our, and all uh, the spirits uh, us, uh, that, um, that were with them, uh, with the angels and with the other people, and the spirits of just men made free. That's the phrase that caught me. In other words, the spirits of those who are in heaven, those people before us, absent from the body, present with the Lord, they are justified people being made free by absent from the body, what, present with the Lord. My mother's free up there today because she was just. And one day, I'll see her again. Amen? And the loved ones. So folks, we got something to look forward to. And all oh, that others will too. And made perfect hell in Jesus, or to Jesus. We are made perfect in him, and through him, and by him. And as a result of that, folks, we've got something to praise God for. We've got something to be thankful for. And so God says, not only are we to thank him for what we have, but one of the reasons how we're to thank him, we're to expect that he's got something greater for us. And so I can praise him, this old world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. Where? Somewhere beyond the blue. Isn't that a a happy song or is that a sad song? And so we should be praising God for what he's done. And even I love the hymn, it just came on to me. The church is one foundation, but that last stanza is so, so interesting because the writer picked up on something I've been missing for years. But he said, she, the church on earth had union with God, the three in one and mystic, sweet communion with those whose rest is one. A mystic, sweet communion with those who have gone before me that have died and are present with the Lord. I don't totally understand it. And I don't want to, like we talked about, we don't channel dead people or whatever. But you know, I don't hope that Linda won't mind this, but when I was was thinking about this last couple of days, Uh, but um, Roy uh, went to a coma and he was passing away. But he loved that song, I'll fly away, oh glory. And I went in and uh, Linda and her daughter was around the bed and uh, Roy hadn't talked in days and I just started singing, I'll fly away, will glory. And he woke up and he sang with us. And then he went, back and that's the last thing he ever said. Folks, it's going to be good to be up in heaven to say, hey, Roy, let's get back together. Amen. Now, I don't want to hurry it up because God's given me a self-preservation, but he's left me here for a reason. And that is, I want others to go with me, don't you? Let's make a joyful noise to all that. We want people to know. Let's make sure the Belvedere knows that Jesus can save them just like he saved us. Make a joyful noise. Wouldn't it be great that uh, all the population of Belvedere made a joyful noise to the Lord next Sunday? Because they know the Lord Jesus and their names are written in heaven. Oh, let's be thankful and bless his name. Let's lift him up because... As Christians, we're the only people in the world that could know what genuine thankfulness is. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's a lot to tell to other people what they can have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father at this very moment because we have been justified and we're being made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we thank you, Lord, for those whose rest is won, those who have gone before us, that immeasurable cloud of witnesses, those heroes of the faith, those people that we've never heard of, that Sunday school teacher, that church member, that person who invited us to be saved. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the fact that one day we'll be singing your praises in glory. Oh, Father, may we realize the message that we're to tell the world. All ye lands, let's worship the Lord Jesus with gladness. Oh, that you would turn our nation back to you. That people would understand the joy that comes from knowing you. Lord, bless your people, we pray. We are the sheep of your pasture. May we be very fruitful sheep for you. In Jesus' name, amen.